0: Lost Talk Radio. Our traditional astrology radio. Uh, my name is Chris Brennan, and today is Sunday, January 9th 2011. Uh, tonight, I will be interviewing world-renowned medieval astrologer Robert Zoller. Uh, Zoller is widely recognized as one of the leading astrologers to advocate uh, a return to traditional astrological techniques and methods, uh, especially start in, starting in the early 1980s with his book, The Arabic Parts in Astrology, A Lost Key to Prediction. So, through his work, he's played a major role in spurring the revival of traditional astrology around the world, uh, pretty, pretty much everywhere from what I've, what I've seen. Uh, he also has the distinction of being one of the few astrologers who issued predictions about 9-11 prior to the attacks. Uh, so, before we get started, I should state that uh, more information about Zoller's work can be found on his website, Uh, uh So, Robert, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining me. So I wanted to start off with just some biographical information about who you are and uh, where you've come from and what you've done. So uh, first things first, how did you get into astrology?
1: Well, I was pretty sick as a kid. I had asthma, and I couldn't participate in sports as much as I would have liked. So I ended up staying at home and reading just about everything I could get my hands on. So by the time I was finished with sixth grade, I'd read all the Celtic myths, all the Germanic myths, all the Greek myths and legends. And uh, in the course of doing that, I came across something called folklore. And folklore was primarily the Grimm's brothers, or one of the Grimm's brothers, I forget which one now, But anyway, I read all all that stuff, and in there I learned about magicians and unicorns and things of that sort, but the magicians and the uh, astrologers and the alchemists really intrigued me. So it wasn't until I was in the 10th grade, about 16 years of age, that I was able to get my first book on astrology, and that was uh, Edward Lindeau's book, uh, Astrology for Everyone, I think was the title of it, but I couldn't do much with it at the time because I had to prepare to go to college, so I put it on the back, on the shelf, back burner, so to speak, and I didn't look at it again until I was out of college, the uh, first college I went to it was in the 60s, and as you can imagine, nineteen sixty five to 68, there wasn't a lot of college going on in the colleges, especially in New York, so, I had a lot more time than I thought I would, and I got into uh, reading as much as I could about astrology at that point, point. and one thing led to another, and I got a teacher and uh, eventually disagreed with my teacher, but he was right. instrumental in setting me on the right straight, right, the right uh, track.
0: And this is so the uh, infamous Zoltan Mason who uh, introduced you to traditional astrology?
1: Why you say that again?
0: This is uh, Zoltan Mason.
1: And that was Mr. Zoltan Mason, who was, was my, teacher, my first teacher in astrology. And, he and was at the this point... Who uh, told me that if I wanted to get into the real astrology, I had to get into languages, and into the classical languages in particular. He we rattled off a number of classical languages... Greek, Latin, Sanskrit, Hebrew, Arabic, went on and on and on. Then he said, now get out of here. Get out of my office. He was a little bit brusque. He had a a tough time of it himself. He uh, came to the United States after the Second World War. And it wasn't easy to get (laughs) to the United States from Hungary, which is, I think, where he was at the time. He uh, eventually did get to uh get into the United States became a citizen and lived here uh, until about
0: 1998
1: something like that when he passed away
0: so it it uh, was at this point that you started studying uh, uh ancient languages and started studying older traditional authors
1: I realized that uh, we had a wonderful bookstore, Mr. Mason did, on 61st Street, uh, between 61st and 62nd, I think it was, but it was on Lexington Avenue, and it was the second floor up, so he used to walk up these creaking stairs, nobody would have ever been able to sneak up on him coming up those stairs, because the stairs creaked very loudly, and, uh, Then you'd walk through this door that had a bell on it, and he would come out from the back room and he would say something like, what are you looking for, in this almost threatening sort of manner. (laughs) And people would say, I want to browse, and no browsing, you must know what you're looking for. But after you got past his rough introduction, he was a real sweetheart, and he was real helpful, if he thought you were serious. So I convinced him that I was serious, and he was very helpful to me uh, with the books that he had. And at that time, there weren't many books published on astrology. Astrology still hadn't made it into the into the publishing world, although people were buying a lot of books. They, whatever was available would be bought, but the publishers themselves were very cautious with the what books they would put out. Now that meant that you had a lot of second hand books floating around, some of which were really outstanding books, very valuable. One of these books was uh, Jean Baptiste Morin de Villefranche. Jean Baptiste Morin de Villefranche, Astrologia Gallica. And uh, that became the core of his teaching of astrology, uh, about the time that I complained to him that he was just teaching pop astrology, where could I get the real stuff, and that's when he told me about the languages, um, and it was the languages that I, I went in the direction, learning languages, in particular learning Latin, which I did at the Summer Latin Institute in New York on 42nd Street in Manhattan. And uh, I did 11, I did two and a half years of Latin in 11 weeks. Now, one of the women who had done this course prior, I think it was a year prior to the one I was there, which was 74, she was uh, so impressed, and it was such an intensive course, that she suffered thereafter from being pursued in her dreams by passive periphrastics. Imagine that. So I learned Latin so that I could get into the original sources. And then I continued my Latin from 1975 through 77 at the Institute for Medieval Renaissance Studies at City College under Madeline Cosman. And I had very good fortune up there to meet Dr. Cosman, find that she was amenable to the kind of research that I was interested in, She helped me a great deal. And uh, she put me in contact with, and I became a student briefly, of uh, Richard LeMay, who was the world's authority on Abu Mishar. Very fortunate because that's Richard I wanted to go in. While I was studying with Zoltan, which was between 1970 and 1974, I uh, I realized that, that there was a real astrology out there in the work of one Guido Bonatti. So I was I was aware that there was a very serious brand of astrology, and there pop astrology, and the pop astrology has continued, of course, to the present day. It is in the process of trying to fool us by assimilating itself with real astrology, but it won't be able to fool us for long because it, it just doesn't work. Whereas the stuff that Guido Bonatti and Jean Baptiste Morin de Fong did certainly does work.
0: So that's that's extraordinarily um I mean that's extraordinary that you ran into Richard LeMay, who's the world expert on the leading medieval astrologer, ninth century medieval astrologer, uh, Abu Mashar, and who I think uh, compiled the standard critical edition of his greatest work Uh, but you had the fortune of running into him and then that led to around this time becoming familiar with Benatti and that that became the basis of your first book correct?
1: I did. I was approached by uh, Clark Stillman who was at that time working for Wiser in New York which was a bookstore that catered to occult and oriental interests and uh Clark asked me to write a book on the Arabic parts. Nobody had written such a book at that point. Since Llewellyn George wrote a large section of his A to Z Astrology Delineator, mm-hmm. um, which was a book that I had at one point. I don't really think so much of it now, but it was a really high, it was an encyclopedic attempt. It was a great attempt to produce an encyclopedia of astrology. Perhaps that's the way I should say it. And it turns out that that book was influential, especially in the West Coast, where, if I'm not mistaken, well, George was from. But um, the Astrologia Astrologia Gallica, which was uh, more in French astrology is the title, of the translation of the title of that, Gallic astrology, was a tremendous influence on me initially. I think I've gotten beyond it now with my interest in uh, Guido Bonatti, is the proper pronunciation of his name. I'm always being criticized for slurring these names and these vowels together. So they should properly be spoken in with an Italian accent. Guido Bonatti, and this is the same Guido Bonatti, who, by the way, Dante placed in the Eighth Circle of Hell in his Commedia Divina, where he says, Dedi Guido Bonati, I saw Guido Bonatti in the Eighth Circle, with his head turned around backwards forever, throughout all eternity, for having had the audacity to try to prove the future and predict the future. But uh, he puts Bonatti in very good company in the circle of hell, which is where he's actually lodged him in that poem. And he is in the company of one very famous Arabic astrologer and alchemist named... I'm blocking on the name now. This is uh, Ibn... Hayan, Uh, Javier Ibn Hayan is the man's name, who is to astrology, or is to alchemy, what uh, Ptolemy is to astrology, namely the the distant acme, the far pinnacle of uh, knowledge on these subjects.
0: So, so you have uh, so at this point in the early '80s, you release uh, your, your book on the Arabic parts, drawing largely on Guido Bonatti, and and then basically your career in astrology, I assume, starts taking off. But what what is it like being one of the only guys, if not the only guy, who's into traditional astrology at this point in the astrological community?
1: Well, that was exactly the condition, the situation. I was uh, initially, I couldn't give it away. I uh, went around to the various astrological clubs and uh, organizations and asked for time to speak on this subject. And I got a little bit of time from the Iranian Society at the very beginning. But most of these organizations were a little bit at a loss, as you can imagine. They'd never heard of this stuff, they didn't know anything about their own history. And uh, it's sort of analogous to uh, the response that I got in Canada from a teacher of Arabic. And I said to this teacher of Arabic, uh, when she asked me why I was studying Arabic, I said uh, that I am a writer, and I believe I said that to her in Arabic. I said, I, I think is the proper pronunciation for that. And it's a lovely language, Arabic. It reminds me of Hebrew in some ways, and in other ways it reminds me of heaven. It's very rational, I think, and it has these triliteral roots, so you can make up verbs out of these roots, and the same verb can be turned into a noun, and an adjective and things of like that sort, and that's appealing to me. not like English. But At any rate, uh, I said to her, I'm a writer on astrology. Well, the second question out of her mouth was, of course, you're a writer, but what do you write about? So I had to tell her astrology. And she said, oh, I wasn't aware that the Arabs knew anything about astrology. And that was, of course, the standard academic paranoia about astrology. The fact is, the Arabs knew more about astrology. They'd forgotten more about astrology, perhaps, than we'd better to know. That uh, that was their one of their great contributions to to civilization was their mathematics, their poetry, and uh, their, their knowledge of science and mathematics.
0: Right, they uh, became the sort of sole possessors of the astrological tradition for several centuries during the Middle Ages.
1: Right. Now, the the astrological community was pretty much in the same bag or same condition as the uh, the academics prior to, let's say, around 1980. In 1980, I was going public with the fact that I knew about this stuff, and I was surprised to find there was nobody studying it besides me in the United States. So I, I started looking around. Writing to all and sundry, corresponding with Alec Howe and uh, Ari Gilbert and uh, a number of people in Europe. Had some German contacts, some French contacts, some English contacts. And uh, little by little I began hearing stories about Olivia Barclay, who was uh, working very hard. Trying to get going through some of the similar kinds of experiences I was having, these would be getting recognition of the subject matter on the part of the astrological community. And she was doing; she was running the same sort of problem in England. But they did get it off the ground in England, and of course they have pursued it ever since. The way the English pursue many things, namely on the QT. Uh, one of the differences between America and England is that we got big mouths. We talk about everything and they don't. The, The mere fact that it looks as though nobody's doing something doesn't mean that nothing's happening in England. It just means that it's all behind the scenes. And I don't think that I would be talking out of school to say that. I don't think they would disagree with me if they heard me say that. So... I said it, and I'm glad.
0: Right. So so you, right, right at the same time that you're sort of trying to initiate this revival of medieval astrology, you have uh, friends, or at least other people over in England, doing the same, focusing their work on William Lilly in the 17th century tradition. And then by the 90s, I assume, you're starting to gain steam and you... Um, you, you become the founding one of the founding members of Project Hindsight and Arhat, uh, with Robert Hand and Robert Schmidt. Yeah,
1: that's about right. It's about the right timetable too. Things really fell together as far as I can remember and as far as I saw them at the time. Things really fell together around nineteen ninety I think it was when we went to a UAC a United Astrology Congress in Crystal City, Washington, D.C. And that Crystal City was uh, either the name of the neighborhood or it was the name of the hotel. I don't quite remember what the situation was there, but it was a very nice place that we stayed in. And uh, Olivia was there and I was there and Schmidt was there, and White was there, and Ellen Black was there, Bob, uh, Rob Hand was there. Rob Hand was there, and
0: Mike,
1: can you hear me all right? Mm hmm. Yep. Okay. And uh, Schmidt and I were sort of auto-intoxicated at that point <laughs> on our own dreams about a Mathesis Universalis, a universal mathematics that would answer all questions. And his contribution to that was uh, the uh, recitation of what he had learned at St. John's and whatever he had figured out on his own subsequent to that time. He went to college at St. John's University in uh, Maryland, in Annapolis, I think it was. So he had some right. really exciting things to say about Descartes and uh, about. Uh, Mathis Universal and algebra's relationship to algebra. And I found that very intriguing at the time and we were so we were sort of intoxicated trying kind to of dream up at universal mathematics. But as fate would have it that we weren't given the opportunity to do, to do that. Instead, I think the uh demon the demon of uh how shall I put this? The demon of uh, what's it called virtual reality, uh, artificial intelligence, that's what I'm looking for. The demon of artificial intelligence insinuated itself into the conversation in such a way that uh, we couldn't continue the dialogue. Now, Rob Hand was there at the time, and I don't think he was ever tremendously impressed with this concept of... Uh, Matheson Universalis. He was very interested in, in uh, astrology at that point. Now he had just re- returned from uh, Spain where he had met somebody who was studying the works of Philip II astrologer. And he used, this astrology, used something that nobody me and perhaps Olivia and Olivia's students, including Maggie Meister and Lee Lehman, these people all had heard about our mutants of houses, and as you know, that is a, essentially the class that has the most dignity in a given house right so this is a tremendous asset. In judging what that house is going to produce and how it's going to produce it, and all the rest of that, and the houses are, of course, indices of or fields, if you if you like, uh, wherein the meanings of uh, certain concepts are emphasized. So, by studying the rulers of those houses, you can elicit a very clear picture what the chart is going to offer, what the chart is promising. Now, Rob was had his, his head filled to the brim while in Spain by somebody who was studying this uh, Spanish astrologer's work, and uh, he was very enthusiastic about astrology at that point, about medieval astrology. He notified everybody at the time, and I was in the room when we said this, that... Zoller's dominance of uh, medieval astrology cannot go unchallenged. <laughs> so he's been challenging it ever since. And I think that's good. I think that competition and that sort of stuff pushes us all to
0: further excellence. Right. And then, so the three of you then get together, uh, the three Roberts and you start translating texts, you start producing a translation of Guido Bonatti, translations of the um, uh, Latin works ascribed to Hermes, and that takes off. Uh, eventually you leave, uh, but then by this point you are still, and I think e- even still today, established as the leading authority on medieval astrology in the world. Um and then by the time the late nineties roll around, it seems like you've got a pretty strong following and you're you're issuing your was it a monthly newsletter?
1: Yeah, I I picked up the word somewhere along the line. I think I was in I was in the north in the Midwest. It must have been Michigan or or Minneapolis is. Uh sure so New York um Terribly, I don't want to say biased, but that might be the word I'm stuck with here. I just can't imagine anything west of the Hudson River as being anything other than the Midwest. Right. Of course, but that's the way I look at it. I'm subconsciously. that's the way I've been brought up to look at it. But at any rate, we were out in the Midwest somewhere, and uh, we were getting a very good re- response. Rob was there. Schmidt was there. I was there. I think it's still at the same place. And uh somebody who worked for Matrix was returning some papers to Schmidt that they that he had left there at Matrix and it included a periodical and Schmidt referred to it as a periodical and uh the guy corrected him and called it a sporadical. So that my my newsletter was uh um nuncius means messenger and somebody who announces something. And uh I had in mind angels for that. But uh it was really although it was intended to be every two months, I think initially, it really was went through a period when it was one per month and it went through another period where it was Sporadical, in fact, and I guess that's really where it's still at because when the Parkinson's began to trouble me in the 90s, I couldn't any longer maintain an absolute regularity with my writing. So it's really a
0: sporadical. Mm-hmm. But it was in that newsletter, uh, Nuntius, that you started issuing predictions, or you, you would regularly issue predictions. And I think one of the things that you've become the most well-known for outside of the astrological community is uh, making some pretty specific statements uh, about what turned out to be the attacks on September 11th, uh, 2001. Um, So what was the, like, can you talk a little bit about those predictions and what the the aftermath of that was?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those predictions were made in a series of responses to people's questions. The first one was made at a dinner that I was invited to in London at uh, David Broad's house. Maybe uh, I can't remember the name of the street right now. But um also in attendance at that dinner... With Liz Green, so this was an attempt to put Liz Green and I in the same room, and I suppose it would have been a little bit humorous for somebody to watch if she wasn't such a a consummate and highly sophisticated person when it comes to interpersonal relationships, especially with strangers from your own country, like right me. so. so The the sort of astrology that she practices and the sort of astrology that I practice are really millennia apart of space and time. I don't see any reason why I can't talk about millennia in terms of the difference between what she's doing and what I'm doing. But she's an expert at what she does. Well, at any rate, that was the first context. That was where the remarks were made about the House of Bush. And uh, I said that there will be a new president in the United States at the next election, or that there will be a, a new president will be at the House of Bush, but he won't have as much experience in running things as the first Bush did. And I made a couple of other remarks there, and that was the end of that. Now, subsequently uh, actually before that, I had made the statement, that uh, it looks as though there's going to be major economic difficulties for the United States and that historically the best way for us to deal with that sort of thing, uh, at least the way the, the, the economic pundits in the United States generally tend to do things, is that they wage a war as a way of getting you out of the swamp. So I think there was a war coming. And then uh, I got back home after this mm-hmm. dinner at London and uh, looked at everything again, confirmed my concerns, and uh, started paying attention to Milosevic, who was one of the people who I mentioned in the Nuncius mm-hmm. newsletter. Now, at the time, he was a free man, but it wasn't long after that that they... Jailed him, and I guess he's uh, still in jail, and I don't know what happened to him, frankly, at this point. But he was mentioned in that one of those nuncious newsletters, as was Osama bin Laden. So the final two of my newsletters that pertain to this subject uh, called out the uh, danger of Islamic fundamentalism to American values and the American way of life, named Osama bin Laden, named the month in which the danger was likely to happen, and the area of the country where the attack was likely to come from. So I think I did a passable good job on that aspect of things.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone else... Um was able to issue statements uh, that were that accurate. I think you said uh, the greatest period of dangers in September 2001. Uh, It'll be on the eastern seaboard of the United States. Um, Something about inviting the depredations of adventurers such as Osama bin Laden. Um, Yeah, so you you made those statements. And I think one of the things that not a lot of people know about is you actually did try to, or you, you told me once that you tried to contact the authorities or con- contact the FBI in order to uh, alert them to this, correct? Yeah. And not just uh, the
1: FBI but also I mean, the
0: CIA. Right. But your um, attempts to contact them or at least to notify them were sort of rejected?
1: Well, they didn't seem to be... Uh acted upon, but I've since learned that appearances may be misleading. Um, if you call up Joe the Plumber, the resurrect Joe the Plumber from a previous political debate <laughs> a couple of years ago, that was a, a name that was being bounced off of everything, Joe yeah. the Plumber, mythical guy, but it turns out that there are a of guys named Joe and some of them are plumbers, so there is a Joe the Plumber. But uh, my point is that uh, you call up somebody who you think is Joe the Plumber, and somebody comes to your door says, you have a package for me, and you hand him the package and goes away. He might have identified himself to you as Joe the Plumber, but who was that masked man? Now, in this subject, in this field, you sometimes don't know who you're dealing with or know who's subscribing to your work. So I don't know who all the people who were my subscribers on Nuncius. It could very well be that one of them or two of them works for another government or for our own government. The, uh, this medieval astrology has become very interesting to certain elements of our society. Um uh, some of them are religious elements. Some of them are political elements. And some of them are... I, I remember I had a very interesting interchange with a Pakistani fellow, Pakistani astrologer who's no slouch in his kind of astrology. And uh, I learned later that they were probably political connections between him and Pakistan. So you don't always know. And as a result, I can't say categorically that i was turned down. Nobody ever turned me down in that respect. Nobody ever expressed any doubt. But on the other hand, nobody ever expressed any enthusiasm. They didn't come in waving flags saying, I'm in
0: the CAA. Right. Well, I just thought it would be good to point that out. Uh, I I read a skeptic article sometime recently that was uh, asking the question of of if you had made these predictions ahead of time, then why didn't you contact somebody? Uh, So I I always thought that was interesting because you had, in fact, attempted to to contact someone. Um, But moving on from that, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you uh, is if you have... Uh, any advice to new astrologers or to astrologers who are just getting into traditional astrology? What would be your greatest piece of advice after your last, you know, twenty or thirty years working with traditional astrology?
1: Work, work, work. Don't spend, do waste any time. Vita brevis. Experience is the end of Life is brief and short, and the experience is difficult to get. So don't waste your time on psychological astrology and on any other kind of astrology, then put your time into medieval astrology, first of all. Start at the bottom. Don't assume that the people who are writing this book are frauds, because while that is true, often of the modern Writers, and especially, as I have found out in these academic circles, where you have academics involved with secret societies of various sorts, um, and they will criticize the only astrology that works, and they know that it works, they just don't like. To see stuff about medieval astrology. So they rather write about Chiron and black moons and other such fantasies. And uh, the third thing is to expect concrete manifestations of accurate delineations and predictions. In other words, the stuff that we're dealing with is not airy fairy, it's not symbols. I don't know what word I can use in lieu of symbols, but it's certainly not symbolic. We're talking about something which is, which matters somehow. When we say that something matters, we mean that it's important. But we also mean, often, that it is operating in some kind of matter. And I think that that's the case in, in, in astrology, exactly we're dealing with changes in matter. And matter on different levels. Some matter is more refined than other matters. Some matter is grosser than other matters. So there's this given ambiguity or equivocation in the word matter itself. The word itself has at least two different meanings to it. And I have come to conclude at this point, I may change my opinion later, but I don't think I'm going to have to. Um, we have to know what astrology is. This is still under the third heading. And what astrology is 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 science, the only science at the present time, except for perhaps string theory. Um, this science are called Astrology by the Neoplatonists and the Hermetic philosophers and I don't really care what the modern philosophers and physicists and all the rest of them are saying. Astrology is a science and it's a science in particular of how God's will becomes material and shapes this world. And it's a very complex science. But it's an extremely interesting science. And uh I personally think that when Stephen Hawking holds his television interview with uh, this Jesuit guy, the Jesuit guy says to him quite appropriately I'm sorry to see you actually taking God out of your system. You didn't do that in your previous book. You left the door open as to whether or not there was a God. Now, I think that the Jesuit is absolutely right there. And that we all should, however we understand this term, God, leave the door open to possibility that there is such a thing because I have a feeling that it's going to matter at some time
0: that raises a question I wanted to ask you, ask you in an issue which is what what is your philosophy of astrology at this point and is there a specific philosophical school or a religious tradition that you identify with more or, or feel more sympathetic towards well I'm
1: um, rather eclectic, one of my friends from this area accuses me of drawing from this and from that and trying to piece it all together in some sort of mosaic, and he has doubts about whether these things actually fit together. Now, I guess I have doubts about whether they fit properly together, but my eclecticism, which is real, he's right in branding me an eclectic, I am eclectic. Is nevertheless uh, an effort of a creature such as myself looking at the world around me and trying to climb up through the the Vestigia Dei, the footsteps of God, to the higher realities. Now, what's a higher reality? I better not go there, that's going to take too much time. Let me say instead that in answer to your question, which brand of philosophy do I favor? I'm very much taken with uh, Kabbalah. I'm very much taken with Neoplatonism. I'm very much taken with Hermeticism. Is my philosophy pure in any one of these directions? Probably not because I'm not a sectarian kind of guy. And yet, I did convert to Lutheranism in 1989, partially because it was my father's religion, and because I knew that uh, Johann Arndt, the famous Lutheran theologian, and before him... Camerarius and uh, Melanchthon were all actively involved in astrology and alchemy and possibly even magic. Certain aspects of magic. Natural magic anyway. Which is uh, very interesting to look at because it's very clear that natural magic is the parent of a natural science. But at any rate, uh, You raised two or three questions there. One was, uh, which one of these philosophies do I incline most to? Well, I'm actually, at this point, I'm trying to wean myself out of astrology and go back in the direction of alchemy because there's stuff that I passed up there years ago that I've got to reconsider. And I'm very much taken by the uh, this isn't philosophy any longer, but it does fall under the category of practice practice. And the uh it was the Book of Enoch that really set me in this direction. Do you know the Book of Enoch? Uh yeah. Enoch is a wonderful book. Uh, describing something that is mentioned only briefly in the Bible. In a number of places. For instance, John on Patmos, and, uh, not mistaken, Paul, and prior to both of them, Elijah, and, uh, before all of them, before Elijah, Enoch himself, all practiced this out of body ecstasis, this ecstatic out of body experience where they saw and had first hand experiences of um spiritual reality. So that's something that intrigues me now and I've I've been recently looking at Finnish paganism and uh Estonian paganism and the old Germanic in the Celtic tradition of dabbling in all those. It started out as a sort of diversion, but the diversion is becoming a it's holding my attention, so I may end up doing something with these three areas of study or practice. All the more so, because uh, It's plain to me now that the astrology that we're always arguing about and practicing occasionally is a mathematical astrology heavily influenced by the Greeks. Now, that's not a a criticism of the Greeks, not by far. But it does say that it is essentially a left-brained activity for them and for us. There must be a corresponding right brain activity in astrology, and I think that that is met with in the magical field, but exactly how I'm not ready to say publicly
0: uh speaking of that um. One of the things about your philosophy I want to ask you is if you have a strong position on the issue of uh, fate and free will at this point. I know in the late 80s you wrote an article on stoicism for the NCGR, uh, but then you're also very involved in alchemy and in the magical traditions as well. So where do you come down on that issue of determinism?
1: Well... I think I still gotta say, along with the Stoics, that we have a nature, and that nature doesn't really change.
0: So you but, would say that? Oh, go ahead.
1: But having said that, let me make the case a little bit more strongly. I haven't changed my opinion on the question of fate versus free will in the sense that I haven't gotten off of the fact that what is going to happen to us happens to us. And there's little that we can do to change it. However, I have seen intervention. I've seen, I, I thought I saw it back in the 80s when I was struggling with it free-versus-free-will concept, and it's coming down on the side of determinism. But now I have seen so many uh, examples of intervention, which in a sense, I've got something to measure it against now in astrology. In astrology, I can say this is what's going to happen. And the magician or whatever you want to call the feminine version of the magician, maybe magician, I don't know, witch, maybe, a negromancer, that's a nice word, I like that word. That that person walks onto the scene and begins to change things for people. So, I can't help but conclude at the moment And this is, I'm very uncomfortable with this, because this is not, with reason you like to, even when you don't agree with the conclusions, you like the conclusions to be clear, unassailable, plain as the nose on your face, and unambiguous. But we don't get that in life, it seems. And as a result, what I have seen and what I can attest to is that change can be brought about if you know what to do and how to do it, and do it long enough. That might sound like a bit of a cop-out if you think about it, because it might sound as though to do it long enough might be years. But I'm not really talking about years, things that take years to do. It might take a couple of weeks. At the outside, it might take one week. Um, Sometimes they do not take much time at all. And change does happen and it's it's clear to me that this change would not have happened if it weren't for the interve- intervention of this person with the special abilities. Am I answering your question
0: yeah I think that that's a good answer um or or that I think that'll be sufficient um one of the last things I want to ask you is do you have any uh advice or insights into any techniques or technical doctrines that you feel have been really useful to you, uh, but that you feel that not a lot of people know about at this point?
1: Yeah. Now, this is a funny question, because this is, uh, in one sense, getting right to the core of the issue of uh, teaching what you teach people in what the context is. In which the teaching takes place. Is this? Right. Well, one of the things I can say safely is that uh, the dispositor has a twofold relationship to the planet or sign disposed by it. And this has helped me a lot in my delineation. I think that uh, I ran across this rule that I'm about to recite first in Maureen's, Jean-Baptiste Maureen de la France. And then I have worked with that for years and years and years. I simply cannot give it up without losing a lot of accuracy and insight into what I'm dealing with. So the sign, let's take a sign. Aries, for instance. Hmm. Aries is ruled by Mars. I can see, by virtue of the rule, the good or bad signified by a house emanates from the ruler of the house. I can see that uh, this. That's I'm thinking about. A specific case. I got to get that out of my mind. Because I don't need more than one specific case here. A little bit of medical discipline is going to have to be exerted here. Good or bad, signified by house, that means from the ruler of the house. First of all, is the house that Mars is in a good house or a bad house? First question. Let's assume it's in the 11th house. Let's assume that it rules the second house. That Aries is on the second house cut. No, I, w- I want automatically to know what to expect with that configuration. And since Mars' is, uh, is sign, Aries is on the second house cusp, which is a questionable, sort of a mixed house, not really bad, certainly not really good. Uh, the malefic nature of Mars does tend to make you think that the person who has got this configuration is willing to do just about anything to make a buck. and They're not going to let any opposition of any sort get in their way. At the same time, so what you've got in that case is you've got Mars, the planet ruling the second house, is the source of the money. The money made is coming from that Mars. And Mars is going to show us how the money is made, how much money is made, all the rest of that sort of stuff. So it's the source of the, the ruler of the house is the source of the house. At the same time, the ruler of the house is also the outlet for the house. Because if that Mars were in the fifth house, it could very well be that your children Get your money, because the energy is like an electrical circuit between the sign and the ruler of the sign. So that's the second way the uh, rulership works. And the good or bad signified by a house emanates from the ruler of the house will often explain a great deal. Now, I just had a good friend over here. She had Aries on the ninth house. And she had Mercury in the ninth in Aries. It's actually in the eighth. And it's actually in it's in the ninth house by quadrant houses. Ninth house by quadrant houses. Taurus would be the ninth house, and that's over a little bit to the left, by whole sign houses. Now, if we look at this from the point of view of whole sign houses, that Venus in the seventh house, which is exalted in the seventh house, promises a lovely partnership. She hasn't had very lovely partnerships because her Mercury... The ruler of her ascendant in Aries in the ninth house by quadrant houses is square to Jupiter, ruler of the seventh house. Well, the ruler of the first and ruler of the seventh, inimical relationship to each other by the square makes for hostility there. But if you want to get into, and she has had plenty of possibility in their relationship, notwithstanding that Venus, which I think is going to eventually pay off and help her a great deal, but you've got to keep her buoyed up in order for that blessed day to come by. You get my where, where I'm going with that?
0: Yeah. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's definitely a, a core rule, uh, and I've, I've I seen you apply to. that.
1: If I want to go further, I can say about that Mercury, that Mercury in Aries makes a debater, somebody who is very good at debating legal issues in particular. And in the old days in the middle middle ages, they would say canon law as well as secular law. Now, she's sharp as a tack, but she's got problems with her
0: relationships. Um, I've got to cut you off really quick just because our show is about to end in about one minute. Um, we'll so put, just,
1: just one more thing and it will be done. Sure. But that Mercury in Aries is disposed by Mars, and Mars is causing that debate. So if you can do that and you can link in the house meeting to the to the planet's positions in the signs, you've got, you've got detail, which is very admirable okay
0: um, well let's I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up uh, what are you working on now and where can people find out more about your work
1: well they can uh, go to Com at the moment and uh, hopefully for a long time hence and what I'm working on at the moment is that uh, that I alluded to before talking about this non-mathematical astrology I'm very interested in the spiritual aspect of astrology and perhaps even in the religious aspect of astrology so I'll leave it at that
0: okay Uh, well great, well everyone uh, please check out his website at uh, virginastrology.com and um, Robert, thanks for coming on the show
1: Thank you for having me, Chris. It's always a pleasure talking to you, and I hope that everybody enjoyed what was edified, but most importantly that they enjoyed what I was talking about. All
0: right. Well, that's it for uh, tonight's show. Thanks for listening to Traditional Astrology Radio, and I will see you next time.